Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, seems a little funny just to sing it and then to read it. Um, you may even be wondering about a couple points of the translation, but I, I will say that our Blue Book of Psalms it, in so many ways uh, brings out some of the uh, things that are often hidden. And so just because the psalm is a little bit different as written and sung doesn't uh, necessarily mean that the uh, metrical version is less accurate. Sometimes there's wordplay. Sometimes there's a double meaning. This is poetry after all. And in those circumstances, especially the, uh, the, the, the translators of those blue psalm, the blue book of Psalms, they sometimes drag it out a little bit to, uh, to give you more than one word that captures the full sense, kind of like the, uh, the amplified version to sing. Well, here it is from Psalm 84 in the Word of God, New King James edition. Uh, let's uh, read together the whole psalm. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are all who, th those who dwell in your house they will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he uphold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that threefold happiness would be ours, even as we are the ones that are now singing and fulfilling the words of this psalm, having gathered again as the body and the temple of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom your spirit dwells. We pray that we might more and more savor that joy of the Lord, which is our strength. We pray it for his sake. Amen. When we think about it, it is not at all hard to understand why the people of God ought to be a very happy people indeed. You remember that when the Queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon's court, she exclaimed, Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants. With the same word, by the way, that we've been studying, Ashrei, Happy indeed are your men, and happy are these servants who stand and hear your wisdom. As a ruler herself, she realized what a privilege it was for these people to have Solomon as their king and to serve such a one as him. She assumes that the people were always just pinching themselves to make sure it wasn't a dream after all, such a king. Such a prosperous kingdom, such a happy life. The queen of Sheba could see that if they had Solomon as king, they could not help 
but be a happy people indeed. And yes, brothers and sisters, I tell you, a greater than Solomon is ours. We are in a study of the Psalms that are inviting us to enjoy and increase in happiness, not in any kind of light or fleeting way, but that blessed happiness we've been talking about, the blessedness that comes from such things as having the Lord as our God and having a sense of the privileges of our life that that entails, a sense of satisfaction in knowing the Lord himself. And this book of Psalms introduces itself to us on the very first page, the first word, as a book about happiness, the great happiness that frames all those light and momentary afflictions that we immediately read about that David and the other psalmists go through. Weeping must often endure for the night, and yet the psalms remind us that these things are set in a frame of happiness so that joy will come to us in the morning. And it's time for us, not only for our sake, or not even for Jesus' sake merely, but for the world's sake, to make other people sit up and take notice of this, that the king's servants are happy. Loving happiness, as the people of this world do, perhaps nothing might make them sit up and take notice with greater attention than the fact that King Jesus also has a very happy people. Other people will work backward to the same conclusion that the Queen of Sheba came to going forward. She, the Queen saw the King and assumed the profound happiness of the King's people. People today will see, uh, well, happy citizens of the King and work back to the King himself who has obviously made them so. And so you see it becomes our duty, not only as Christians who are called to such joy, but as ambassadors of that king, to find the happiness that is our birthright in Christ and to help others find it as well. We should not be at all like the people in this world that are looking for happiness in all the wrong places and encouraging others to follow their lead to a wretched end. We should have the supreme happiness ourselves of inviting others to share it as well. And so it is that time and time again, God calls his people to rejoice, to serve him with joyful and glad hearts. And it gives us an abundance of reasons why. It uh, even threatens us with punishment at various points if we will not do so happily. The Psalms, for their part, are full of this, uh, reminding us how and why God is our exceeding joy, says Psalm 43, that we are to be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart, we read last week. Many, many more references, of course, could be made. And the Psalms are only picking up a line that is stretching all the way from the beginning to the end. Jesus tells his disciples that he had spoken such things to them that their joy, that his joy may be made complete that, uh, in, in them. He, he promised that on Judgment Day they would hear him say to them, enter into the joy of your master, heaven itself, the joy of the master. And so in the meantime, the apostle commands us, not infrequently, rejoice in the Lord, always, I will say it again, rejoice. And he reminds the Corinthians and the Philippians that he and others are working with them for their joy. Well, why aren't we so happy then? Well, when we are not happy, which is most of the time, 
we, uh, we, we are not feeling ourselves to be wondrously prosperous or privileged as we ought. That's because we are forgetting our king, his kingdom, and the extraordinary privileges we have of belonging to it, our hope, and every other thing that is intended to be rekindled here on the Lord's day. And so it is supremely in worship that we are to have joy and happiness and that that is to be refreshed and rekindled, the theme of this very psalm. I'm calling our series the psalm's open secret of happiness. Everyone wants to know the secret of happiness. And as I pointed out to you, the psalms has it. And it doesn't make any effort to conceal it. It puts it right on the first page and continues in that line. The psalms encourage us to pursue this happiness and frequently remind us how we may gain it again. In pursuit of such happiness, Psalm 84 stands out in one way above all the other psalms. Because in this psalm, in this psalm alone, the word is used no less than three times. A threefold happiness, as Psalm 84 shows us how the happiness of worship spills over into our everyday life as well, making the connection between the joy that we find re restored and rekindled in the worship of God on the Lord's Day with the people of God and the joy that we experience the rest of the week in our daily pilgrimage and... Uh, in walking uprightly with him. Worshiping God in spirit and in truth is meant to be, if you like, the, the springboard of experiencing life as God intended it to be. Some of you have gone to Claytor Lake and enjoyed the springboard there, which I was so sad to see they removed. I don't know how long ago, some, sometime uh, this, this summer, the diving board is gone. Uh, how fun, how happy, how joyful it is to use a, a springboard and to, to, to lift off and to go much, to soar higher in the air than you would without it. Well, the worship of God is to be the springboard of the daily Christian life, to, ra to raise us up, to give us more altitude and more joy than we would have had otherwise. And so let's consider this psalm. Uh, the threefold happiness that it promises. First, the happiness of abiding in God's house. Second, the happiness of pilgrimage to God's house. And third, the happiness of trusting in God's goodness at all times. First, the happiness of abiding in God's house. Not to get ahead of myself, the joyful note is struck in verse 1. Uh, not how happy this time, um, how lovely. Uh, a word, by the way, that like the English can mean beautiful, but also can, can mean uh, how desirable, how wonderfully beloved. Uh, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out. For the living God. Imagine the psalm writer watching as the worshipers were gathering from the ends of the earth to Jerusalem, streaming in from the nations, coming on every side, hearing the voices of the pilgrims singing the psalms of ascent 
entering the gates of the city. We were standing, we were standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. What a, what a scene. What a scene will be ours on that day in heaven in the new Jerusalem as we experience this. How lovely, how beautiful, how well-beloved this place is where God dwells and all the people come up to worship. And, and the psalmist there envies the sparrow or swallow who have managed to make themselves a nest in the eaves of the temple because you live there. You get to abide there and never leave. Every song you sing is, as it were, for the Lord. And how wonderful to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the conclusion of all this happiness, which I've only begun to sketch, is found in verse 4, where we find this word uh, occurring for the first time in the psalm, blessed or how happy are those who dwell in your house, they will still be praising you. Well, we might ask, why all this ado, this emotional attachment, longing, yearning, singing for joy about a house? Well, we're told it's because it's God's house, the altars of the Lord of hosts, the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh are crying out for the living God. This psalm is not so much about joy in the temple of God, but joy in the God of that temple. The psalmist can't always be there to his great sadness, but his heart is there. And God has appointed this place of his worship to be a place of supreme happiness for his saints. Worship is to be a transcendently happy experience. I see that some of you don't have smiles. We don't think about this nearly enough as we should. The emotional side of our congregational worship is much more important than we generally consider. And there's no shortage of passages teaching on this truth that God has appointed worship to be a happy event to come and to praise the Lord with joy. Eight times it says in the law that you are to come and appear before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice. All the great psalms calling us to worship, all the great calls to worship, I guess I should say, like Psalm 100, make this right up front. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Is that your image of worship? I tell you it is certainly God's. Probably the second most famous call to worship, Psalm 95, begins, Oh, come, let's sing to the Lord. Let's shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let's shout joyfully to him with psalms. Here is just a small sketch of the joy that God intends this to be. A modern congregation, however, often considers itself to be the audience of worship, watching the worship leaders, musicians, and the minister give a presentation or a performance. But this has it backward. This, nothing could be further from the biblical picture. God is the audience, and God's people gather to him to rejoice. And as we've learned in previous studies, we are not talking about any kind of fleeting or superficial happiness of circumstance or temperament, but rather the blessed happiness that comes from focusing on 
and trusting in the Lord and his salvation. Having his word, Psalm 1. Trusting in his son, Psalm 2. Having the joy of sins forgiven in the lightness, the happiness of being justified in God's sight, Psalm 32. These things supremely bring us joy. So even if you do have a bit of a dour expression on your faces, as long as that deep happiness is yours, as long as the joy of the Lord from those things is dancing a little jig in that heart of yours, that's good enough. And therefore, supremely in worship, we are to be restored and rejuvenated and experience this joy again. The God has appointed his worship to increase his happiness. And in the psalms we sing, in the good news we proclaim, in the prayers that we are making to a God of compassion that's near at hand, we are reminded why in Psalm 16 that in God's presence is fullness of joy. Or as one writer puts it, on Sunday morning or Wednesday evening or at some great retreat or camp meeting, believers meet as the living stones of the temple and love being in God's presence. The hour is better than the hundreds of hours in the week, but their calling then is to go back to live in an unbelieving world which operates on radically different sets of principles. They might like to escape that world and to live in the blitz, bliss of Christian company all the time. I mean, again, kind of envying those birds, right? But that is not their vocation, he writes. But when they are not sure whether they will know God's protection or blessing in their actual context, they find strength. Looking forward to meeting again with God and the company of God's people, they therefore commit themselves to walking in the world, meanwhile, in integrity and trust. A brief explanation of this psalm. So, the first joy is the joy of the one abiding in God's house. Joy is always our inheritance as God's children. It's always to be the fruit of the Spirit within us that we are to put on and practice. Rejoice in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. We have to practice it. We have to give ourselves to it. Um, but it is here that supremely we are reminded that, that all the great questions of your life have been answered in the most wonderful, confident, joyful way. That God is your God, and your future and your life are all in him. Now you might be thinking, okay, I can see this theoretically, but frankly, this is not, just my, per this is not my personality. Well, I'm not calling you to be someone that you are not. God has made you that way, and not everyone has the same natural temperament, of course. Some are by nature more cheerful than others, more inclined to brightness and gladness. I'm looking at you, Tammy. Others of us, others of us are more naturally melancholic. I can use myself as the illustration of this. God has made us all very different. But this spiritual happiness is not a function of mere natural personality. It's what Jim Packer, G.I. Packer, called bone structure. That uh, those, those hard, uh, strong things underneath the rest. The underlying happiness that the world can't give or take away or touch. And no happiness that is reached in any other way is the real thing. If you can enjoy more of that happiness in the Lord because of your natural temperament, I envy you. Share it with me. If, if not, treasure and gather up all you can because 
we are to be happy worshipers and servants of the Lord. Now I can already hear a question. What if I don't feel happy in worship? Should I go? Well, I don't think that you uh, should stay home if you don't feel happy or anything like that. It's not like you should only come to worship if you're overflowing with joy and delight, but I did find some practical counsel in the book Desiring God, helpful to me, that uh, there, there are kind of, if you like, uh, three, three levels of this happiness, three levels. Um, perhaps all worship starts with the bottom level, uh, really a, a kind of barrenness, an emptiness that scarcely feels any longing, and yet the soul has enough understanding and grace to say, this is right, and I want happiness. So you need to start sometimes by being sad that you're not happier. Even in this sorrow, that you do not have more happiness in the Lord and in his worship, there is honor to God. Because you know, in his presence is is fullness of joy. And if God were not so desirable to us, why should we feel such sorrow for not being happier in him? If this is our experience, we are to bewail lukewarm hearts. We are to lay hold again of Christ and not let him go until he blesses us. We are to give ourselves, especially to these elements of the word of God and prayer and song. And we are to come together intentionally to warm our hearts for God has appointed this hour to be the restoring of your joy. That's what happened to Asaph in Psalm 73. He was out there in the world. He was starting to envy the wicked and their prosperity. And he says, I was like a beast before you. You know what recovered him, right? He came into the sanctuary. And then he overflowed. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's on earth, there's none that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What a fool I was when I forgot that. Um, So often... We don't start that way, but we go to the sanctuary and we begin to recover our happiness. Second stage, we can taste but do not in so many ways feel the fullness of that happiness. There is the the current of happiness moving within us and we have a longing and we have a desire and we remember the goodness of God, and uh, we experience it again, but it does seem still far off. And again, in many psalms, we find just such a thing happening, a, a longing for God, um, and, and yet kind of a wrestling of soul. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disquieted within me? Hope in God! I'll praise him still. My help and my hope is he. Uh, back and forth in Psalm 42, Psalm 43, um, by the same authors, interestingly. Now, Uh, Even though this is falling short of what we want, God is not our full horizon. The the miseries of the world are pressing in on us. Our our hearts are still dull. We we do have this this taste of joy that is real and good. And this also is an honor to God. And we come to the right place to be filled with more. Then, if you like, the final stage, which will be perfected in us until we enter that heavenly kingdom where... Body and soul, we feel in every way the free joy of gratitude, wonder, hope, admiration. When we are lost with Psalm 63, my mouth praises you with joyful lips. And with so many other psalms that just have transcendent um, bliss in them. 
worship of God as it should be, a feast of joy where we've just forgotten ourselves for the hour, right? And when we, we come back and we finish and we realize, oh, actually, this is not heaven, this is earth. Well, maybe it's not, never been quite so good, probably not here anyway. Um, but you, you know something of what that is like, where, where for a moment uh, the, the Lord filled your horizon and he was your all in all. What a, what a great time that is, that too, it found in the Psalms. So in this longer first point I'm putting before you, worship is the way to happiness abiding in God's house. It makes for a happy worshiper, and we should pursue it and find happiness in it and through it. And so you can do some more. You can take a couple minutes on Saturday night to prepare your heart for Sunday morning, laying aside your, uh, your cares very self-consciously on Sunday morning, not allowing them to enter your mind, spending a little more time putting on some joyful music, reading a word, praying for your heart, and the hearts of others to be right before him. And one day, when we dwell in the house of the Lord forever, as we sing, then it will be nothing but the fullness of joy. And what, what will that be? To, to be lost, to have our breath taken away. And every moment, uh, we, we just don't know. Our, we're, we're, we're barely alive in the shadowlands down here. And how we long to be in the fullness of God's joyful presence. Well, we will dwell in the house of the Lord, and blessed or happy are those who do so. The second happiness that we read about in this thrice happy psalm comes in the next uh, stanza, if you like, from verses 5 through 7. The verse 5 begins with the word happy, ashray. Uh, happy is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Now we leave the temple and we are going to the rest of life. We, we, we are reminded that God's people can't always spend all their time in the courts of the Lord and that they are, therefore, a pilgrim people. And what was it like making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem? Well, um, you know, for most people it was, it was hard. The jets they had in those days were not very fast. The uh, Ubers had four legs and went ee-aw. Uh, the, the, the psalm reminds us that um, every pilgrim especially had to pass through the valley of Baca. Um, verse, uh, verse 6 here, uh, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, as they pass through the valley of Baca. Now, if you turn to the back of your Bible and look at the map, you could stare all day and never see anything called the valley of Baca. You're like, I don't think I've ever read anything about that valley. Where, where is that valley? And what is the strange geography in which every pilgrim has to make his way through the same valley? Is it a valley that's like all around Jerusalem or something? Well, no, um, that would not make much sense. Uh, actually, if you look at a map, there is no valley of Baca. Baca, Baca is the Hebrew verb to weep. The Hebrew verb to weep. The valley Habaca is the valley of weeping or uh, as we sing in the psalm, the veil of tears. They've translated it for you so that you get the poetic point. The psalm is saying that everyone who is going up to that joyful Zion is now passing through a valley of weeping. 
And now we find a great tension. The tension here between the happiness of those who are on the pilgrimage and the happiness of those pilgrims, and the sorrows, rather, of those pilgrims passing through a weeping valley to get there. And this is the tension where you and I live. And this is ultimately why we don't experience all the happiness that we should be experiencing. We are making our way to the heavenly Zion, of course. Meanwhile, suffering anguish and disappointment, discouragement and loss. And faith in Jesus Christ is certainly not giving us immunity from any of this. All the saints are passing through the valley of weeping. Remember, you remember just how many laments there are in the Psalms. It is, in fact, the most common classification of psalm. If you're into classifications, I'm not sure if it's right to put everything into a bucket, but if you were to say uh, how many of this kind of psalm and how many of that kind of psalm, well, by most accounts, far and away, the, the laments are number one. The heading over this psalm may well be a threefold cry of happiness, 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 and yet under that heading, we find tears and struggle and weeping. The book of Psalms, as I mentioned, introduces itself as a book of happiness. And then, I remember as a new Christian, I, I set about trying to read a psalm every, every morning. This will be great. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm into like Psalms 16 and 17, and I'm like, oh, this, is, this is brutal. This is a beating, right? Because as soon as you get through the introduction, what do you find but that your best friend betrays you? You're, you're walking under a cloud of shame for the name of God. You're caught up in the most appalling circumstances and God seems far away. You are being consumed by the envy of the wicked at various points. Uh, sickness is cutting you off from the fellowship of other believers at other points. And, and we think, uh, Lord, where is the happiness with which all this began? It's, it's worth noticing the setting of Psalm 84, in the Psalter itself. This is in Book 3. If you don't know all that, I can't explain all the, all the divisions. Uh, these are put together in five books and five different seasons of the life of God's people. Book 3 uh, is uh, from the kingdom of Solomon uh, at the uh, beginning, Psalm 70, uh, 70, 72. Uh, actually, 73 begins at 72. The Song of Solomon starts it out here. Um, from the beginning of the monarchy through to the division to the northern kingdom going into exile, Psalm 80, and we're about to find the Davidic crown fallen in the dust, Psalm 88, Psalm 89. It's a section, just like the book of Kings that we're reading now as a family, a section that's frankly full of bad news, full of, of struggle of discouragement, of national enemies, Psalm 83, recounting a long list of, of enemies, right? The psalm immediately before this, uh, we should sing it sometime, <laughs> a huge confederacy of all the nations and peoples of the earth against God's people. And in this milieu, Psalm 84 is like a little island of peace and composure and joy in a world that is a sea of unrest and distress. To say to us, brothers and sisters, it's not hypothetical, this is 
a valley of weeping. Life is a valley of weeping. Life in this world is a valley of weeping. How happy the pilgrim who is not making his home there. Do you feel that tension? We have sorrow, for this world is not our home. And we have happiness, because we are going home. We are a pilgrim people, and that's not all. God is, in the meantime, also making us a source of blessing to those who dwell with us in Weeping Valley. As they pass through the Valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. And uh, play on words here, pools, which is what you get when you get lots of uh, water, which is a kind of blessing. The word for pools it sounds exactly like the word for blessing. It's the same, same sound exactly, um, just a uh, little variation within it. Uh, homonym, is that what we call it, when two words sound the same, even if they're different words, right? Uh, a read that you hold, you read your book, completely different words. Uh, pools, blessing. Hence, the psalm that we sing, with, uh, they make the veil of tears a spring with showers of blessing covering, not pools covering it, but showers of blessings, the, that we are, as we pass through this valley of weeping, making the, the, the tears, in, in a sense, becoming a spring and filling up with pools of blessings to cover that. And, and we ourselves, covering this with blessings, we also are going from strength to strength till each one appears before God in Zion. A very a uh, wonderful, beautiful, poetic picture of the second happiness that we have. You're, you're in this vast conspiracy of nations with all these miseries on you, division, anger on every side, hostility, plenty of reasons for discouragement, and yet here you are walking through this valley of tears, you yourself weeping, and yet making it a, a spring of blessing while the Lord himself is granting you strength Strength to strength, till you appear before him in Zion. All that you have and treasure, pilgrim, cannot be taken away. Jonathan Edwards has a wonderful sermon called God, the Best Portion of the Christian, based on Psalm 73, I quoted earlier. He writes, here we may learn that whatever changes a godly man passes through, he is happy, because God, who is unchangeable, is his chosen portion. Though he meet with temporal losses and be deprived of many, yes, all temporal enjoyments, yet God, whom he prefers before all, still remains and cannot be lost. His chosen portion on which he builds as his main foundation for happiness above the world and above all changes. And when he goes into another world, he is happier still because that portion yet remains. How great is the happiness for those who have chosen the fountain of all good and prefer him before all things in heaven and earth who could never be deprived of him to all eternity. The second happiness that we have, that the happiness of the pilgrim, the one who's a pilgrim to God's house. The final happiness, the happiness of the one trusting in God's goodness at all times. The one who is trusting in God's goodness at all times. 
O Lord, God of hosts, verse 8, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your Christ, as it's written in the Greek. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness. That is to say, even the very best things about this world. I would never exchange, even if I had nothing and was but a doorkeeper in the house of God. A day in his courts better than a thousand elsewhere. The Lord God is sun and a shield. Okay, and so forth. Spurgeon writes, the lowest station in connection with the Lord's house is better than the highest position among the godless. God's worst is better than the devil's best. Here's the happiness of trusting in God's goodness, even when you might have little else. In 1714, Matthew Henry, the well-known commentator, minister, was on his deathbed at the very young age of 52. He had not finished his commentary yet, by the way. Others had to finish it from his notes. He had endured the loss of his first wife. He had lost three of his nine children. He might have complained on his deathbed of his hard life, but he said to a friend, you have been used to take notice of the sayings of a dying man. Here is mine, that a life spent in service to God and communion with him is the most comfortable and pleasant life that one can live in the present world. It doesn't matter how hard it is when you remember and recognize God is our shield and our sun. The only place where God is directly referred to here is sun, unless I'm mistaken. A few places where Jesus is, but in Psalm 84, the metaphor is the context of travel. No lighted streets in those days. When you traveled in the wilderness, it got dark, it got cold. It was dangerous. When the sun went down, the lions or wolves would howl in the darkness and travelers would huddle together and wait for the dawn. And the rising sun meant that you could see and continue your way, bringing warmth and cheer. A new day that would take you a step closer to God's dwelling place. The Lord God is that sun in our darkness. And their annual walks to Zion, we read, were able to support their daily walk of uprightness. The psalm goes on, um, sorry, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. The man who continues what he had heard and continues to walk and to live in uprightness, will lack nothing that he needs, putting his trust in God. Um, We can trust in our own strength. We can trust in the economy. We can trust in our rulers. Or we can put all of our trust in the Lord God who directs all these things according to his sovereign purpose and saving plan. What would you like to trust in? We are to maintain, therefore, our confidence in God in both good times and bad, in both day and night, knowing that our God, our Son, 
and our shield both lights our way and protects our steps from all that might come against us. If you put your trust in God at all times, truly, you will be happy indeed. How miserable we are when we fret, anxiously worried and concerned about this and concerned about that. How much better if we actively engaged, trusting all the time in joyful confidence that God is able to use even such frail creatures as us to accomplish great purposes in the earth and that he does rule over all things. H.H. Kuyper was the son of Abraham Kuyper of blessed memory. Um, so many ways, uh, the, the, the leader of the great resurgence of orthodoxy in the Netherlands a hundred years ago. But his son, H.H. Kuyper, lived in a, an even more evil time. He lived through the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands. H.H. Kuyper was the editor of the magazine called The Herald, which up to the time of the German occupation of Holland had steadfastly condemned the Nazis and called upon the Dutch to resist with all their strength at any cost. Yet once the occupation began and all the other magazines were being closed and the other editors, like Klaus Skilder, by the way, thrown into prison for expressing the very views that the Herald itself had expressed only weeks before, H.H. Kuyper began to sing a different tune. He, he put his finger up to the wind and he said, we need to take a different tack uh, in light of these events. The Herald, for its part, began to warn against the impulse to, quote, seek martyrdom. We shouldn't be seeking martyrdom. It, it urged the editors of other church papers that were still printing to exercise caution. And he criticized those who resisted the Nazis or who fled the country. And he began to feel, fall silent almost immediately on his criticism of the German invaders. There is good reason, H.H. Kuyper wrote, to issue this warning about keeping silent, for otherwise our churches may get themselves into trouble needlessly. This applies especially to the minister of the word, he wrote. If through careless words or actions he should give occasion for punitive measures, not only he but also the congregation he serves would be affected. The flock would be deprived of its shepherd, he warned. He quoted Matthew 10, 16, that Christians needed to be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves to justify a situation in which the Herald was soon the only religious paper in the Netherlands that the Nazis continued to allow to be published throughout the war. It, it was a terrible collapse because he had lost his trust in the Lord. The Lord our God is a shield and a sun. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. A valley of tears this may be. But H.H. Kuyper was not a happy man, either during or after the war. Skilder and the other men who stood to their utmost against the Nazis. Happy were they 
who trusted in him in all seasons. The psalm ends where we must begin with trust. The psalm begins where we will at last end, abiding forever in the house of God. Interesting, isn't it? And in conclusion, how happy is the one who trusts in the Lord? Having been tested in the valley of tears and yet is pushing onward from strength to strength, onward and upward to Zion, this valley is not permanent. The house of the Lord is forever. Peter admits, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, but these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Brothers and sisters, tomorrow we head back to daily life, and we want to take this psalm's teaching about the threefold secret of happiness with us, taking it from the blessed place of the worship of God, remembering as pilgrims we go through a valley of tears from strength to strength, and remembering that at all times and in all seasons he is worthy of our trust. Happy, happy, happy are we if this is our conviction. At the beginning of our service, we also read um, uh, an, an enigmatic line that Jesus gave to the people as he cleansed the temple. You destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And what he was talking about was the temple of his body, this man in whom the fullness of God forever dwelling is the one where we also come and meet God, the way, the truth, and the life. And all the sacrifices of the temple have been fulfilled in him, and the fullness of God dwells in him forever. And when we say now, O oh Lord, how lovely is your dwelling place, we are also saying, Lord, how lovely is Christ. How we long for his fellowship, how we look for his coming again to take us to be with him forever, how we long to be with him also. Happy happy, happy are we when we remember that he is the source of all happiness, the one that Psalm 84 has found its fulfillment in, the temple of the Lord himself. Let us go to him in prayer. How happy we are, our Father, for such a promise to bring us through a veil of tears, teaching us to trust, leaving off the world, longing for your presence, looking for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, leaving what is behind and stretching forward to take hold of that for which you have taken hold upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. We have been a foolishly, needlessly sad and anxious people. Assure us, secure us, grant that your word would dwell richly within us, that it may in an hour of need come to our minds again and again, that we might, with a refreshing happiness, love you, your house, and your worship, and take that happiness through every step of every day. To you alone be glory, both now and forever.